I'm very, very pleased to welcome our next guest on the line. And live today is Dr. Tony Parkin, who's recently been writing on the BET blog, The Changing Nature of BET. And I just absolutely have to have him on the show. Tony, welcome to the show and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Russell. Excellent. Now, you've been at BET uh, as long as I have, and you've been coming right from the start. Just tell some of the listeners about your very first uh, experiences of BET and where it started for you. Well, I think the, the first experience that uh, I remember that stands out is actually banging my head on the ceiling, which has uh, made a change. I mean, there have been later uh, BETs that have made me want to bang my head in frustration, but that time I actually did. It was held in the old uh, Barbican... Well, I think they called it uh, Exhibition Centre one, which everybody called Car Park one, because actually the exhibition space had been converted from the old car park. Mm. And uh, these were the days of those incredibly heavy Marler Haley stands that uh, you had to heave about and stand on chairs and things to erect them. And I'd stood on a chair and bash my head and saw stars for some time. So that's my abiding memory of the first one, uh, where I went as part of the group from ILEC. I know we, it was a last, we had a last-minute space there because somebody had cancelled. So we, uh, we snapped up the space and went and showed some of the software and things we were developing at the Ivy Education Computing Centre. Amazing. And, and how has IC changed during the time between then and now for you? Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I was just trying to remember at that time, I think we still did have 380Z and 480Z software because, of course, we were an RM, our research machines, computers only in the ILEA, uh, apart from the rogue Mac in my room, which they spent some time trying to get rid of, but which I never let them take. Uh, so in those days, it was, uh, but it was largely about, uh, uh, we, we concentrated at ILEC really when the RM Nimbus came in, a lot of 186 software. So we had a a computer chip that was really designed to run a washing machine actually being used to run educational computing and uh, bigger boxes and uh, and some very interesting ad hoc networking comes back to me from that era as well. People knocking bricks out of walls in schools to pass cables through to actually join these computers up. But if you think back to those times, we were doing things like that on the networking front. We were sharing expensive devices. We were sharing printers. We were sh- I mean, printers were very expensive then. I can remember we were sharing hard disks. We were sharing CD-ROMs. And, and now we network for entirely different reasons. Yeah, yes, it was. A dry, I was sort of forgotten about the... Yes, talking about the school printer, which was quite common. I remember the... Uh, I mean, one of my abiding memories from a little later than that, just as the, as the ILEA went... Um, part of one of the jobs I did was we they had a thing called tombstone funding, which was money basically that was left in pots in the ILEA. And we went out and searched a laser printer, and we this was really radical. We put a laser printer into every secondary school, which was 140 odd uh, laser printers. And I remember that uh, we were on the point of actually buying Apple, but at the last minute um, switched and uh, took up an entire stock of uh, of the of the whole of Europe's uh, laser printers for <laughs> for 3 months from an alternative supplier amazing and look where we are now it's such a, i mean I, I, there aren't many of us around that can remember those times and do you think that really matters anymore do you think the the whole landscape has changed significantly well, I, 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 don't, I think it matters in that, I mean, 
my jokey self-title is a disruptive nostalgist. And I think one of the things that it does matter for is sometimes looking back, we can learn from history. And people, because the whole area moves forward so rapidly, people have a habit of not looking back. Or we get new people coming in who just haven't had that benefit of what went before. And that's great because it brings in innovation and new ideas. But sometimes we see the same mistakes being repeated over and over when a little bit of backward uh, looking and a little bit of memory about what went on in those days might just help things be different this time. And this time the innovation might take off because some of those earlier lessons have been learned. So, But apart from that, no. I mean, it's quite nice to meet up. I mean, one of the great things about BET is meeting up people that have been around us as long as, I, as you have, and having a few beers and a few stories from those days. And in your blog, you sort of talk about the comparison between uh, it being a trade show at the very start, but it's actually morphed into something so much more than that. Can you just sort of... Oh, the thing is, yes, OK, I think the first year it was a trade show, and in fact, the interesting thing was about the trade, because it stood for the British Education, Technology and Training uh, exhibition, which everybody sort of forgot what... Be- for but you had you had thousands of of people like uh, furniture suppliers and wallpaper people i mean everybody that had anything to do with putting things resource into a school mm. um and later on we saw different shows springing up around the country and they shifted focus and i think the whole thing has always been organic and shifting and i don't think that's a bad thing so i think a show can get quite stale i mean part of the reason for the longevity of that is the fact it's been constantly reinventing itself um, I think the only challenge is being people, there are some people that always want things to be the same and, and then complain when there's, there's change or <laughs> alternatively complain when the rate of change isn't fast enough. I mean, I think there is, you know, and there are arguments on both sides. But I just enjoy the fact that it's been this sort of freewheeling, rolling, changing, you know, organic um, exhibition, which has had to change as, as the landscape has changed in educational ID. If you had a most memorable moment looking back over the many years of BET, um, because, of course, it moved from the Barbican to where it is at the moment, which is Olympia, but in 2013 it moves to the brand new, well, it's fairly new compared to Olympia, for sure, that is um, a fact, Uh, at Excel, it's sort of moving there in 2013. So let's just take a moment just to look look back through the years. What's your most memorable moment? Does anything spring to mind? Well... Probably because I'm talking to you, one that obviously springs to mind is being humiliated in front of a crowd of about 150 eager RM uh, enthusiasts. I was wandering down the aisle, if you remember, at a bet show, um, minding my own business, doing that initial walk around as you do, and vaguely aware that there was a voice, on, an amplified voice coming from my left, from the huge RM stand, which traditionally RM has, and I heard the voice saying, just for a moment, folks, I'd like you to pause in what I'm doing, and I'd like you to turn around 180 degrees, and I looked to my left to see what was going on, and there were all these people perched on rails being required to stand up and turn around 180 degrees, whereupon when they were all facing out into the aisle, you announced have you ever seen such an absurd suit as that one being ported there by my colleague Tony Parkin? And uh, there was laugh- much laughter and applause. Um, it was, I must admit, it was a fluorescent green suit, not one that I had worn too often, so perhaps it was worthy of the derision. But that is a memorable moment when a 
the one that uh, stands out, certainly as far as you're concerned. Is the suit still in existence? That's our question. The suit is still in existence, and actually as a celebration, I wore it at uh, at Tibet um, only a couple of years back. Um, but remember, this, this, this was that era of the sort of the electric 90s suit, so... Mm. Um, you know, I plead guilty. And I got it incredibly cheap at a shop closing down in Brighton with my other excuse. Called All That Jazz. Oh, they don't make suits like that anymore. They certainly don't. And I'm, I'm pleased that that's one of your... <laughs> and a generation of children are so pleased that they don't. I'm delighted it's still in existence. Looking forward then, if that was that, what are you looking forward to this year in 2012? What are your... What are your, your hopes and aspirations uh, as you visit the show? What are you what are you looking forward to the most? Well, I think the, the positive news of, of, of last year. I mean, first of all, I'm not on the inside anymore, so I don't really know what's going on, so I have no insider knowledge. But the one thing I have really enjoyed has been that um, people like Stephen Heppel uh, has managed to break down the barriers about actually allowing the learners into bed. I mean, for years there was this... Uh, it was extremely difficult getting... Uh, children in Tibet. There was a ban on anybody under mm. 18, and apart from very specific permissions on certain stands for demonstrations, one had to feel that it was it was not an event um, that was for children. And in fact, that was I found quite ironic. But again, you could understand that some of the suppliers didn't want their stands overwhelmed by uh, hordes of children. But I think it rather indicated some of the weaknesses of that. Whereas, of course, people like Stephen that have now got kids regularly on the stand. We see children moving around, and, and that is entirely healthy. The other thing, and so I'm hoping there's going to be more of that this year, and the other thing I think mean, that's been great has been the sort of the practitioner takeover. Mm-hmm. I mean, those practitioners who did feel it was too much of a trade show and too much for the suppliers and not enough for the practitioners, coming along with things like Teach Meets and Teach Me Takeover and Collaborate for Change and those sort of fringe activities that have really put extra energy and vitality back into bed and actually really legitimise the presence of the practitioner. And I think what is interesting is to see how many suppliers have recognised that it's filling in a gap that they perhaps didn't know they had, but which they now uh, know they have from seeing the success. So I think it's a mutual thing. It's not that the suppliers are slightly resistant to it, it's actually they've embraced it and engaged with it, which... Again, it's part of that great community thing. I mean, there is, it is a great event for suppliers and practitioners to get together, um, break down some of that perhaps mutual <laughs> distrust and antipathy. Mm, interesting. It is a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you very much, and happy returns of the day for your birthday this week. Um, listeners, if you want to get in touch with Tony Parkin, uh, probably his Twitter account, I do follow him. He's very interesting, uh, very wise, and uh, always uh, enthusiastic tweets from at Tony Parkin. That's at Tony Parkin. Dr. Tony Parkin, thank you very much for your time today. Great to talk to you, Russell. Thanks for calling. Bye now.